sisterhood of the bottomless mimosa. Hi, y'all. Welcome back to the Sisterhood of the Bottomless Mimosa. This is, I think, episode 27. Yep. And this is CJ here and Melissa there. Hi. Hello. And uh, we're ready and excited to come back to you. As always, leave us a review, subscribe, promote us, tell your grandmother about us, et cetera, et cetera. Yes, all of the above, especially your grandma. Yeah, she's going to love us. <laughs> um, cool. Well, I have like a really exciting story that I want to share that is hot off the presses for me, which I've already blown up Melissa's phone about. But I think you will appreciate this because the Rolling Stones was supposed to play Jazz Fest, which is this big festival in New Orleans on May 2nd. It was a huge fucking deal. All the tickets sold out. Beep, 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 beep. But because they're all like 5,000 years old, I think Mick Jagger is the one who's like having health issues. And so they canceled all of their shows for the next several weeks. So those days went bye-bye. But Stevie Nicks and Fleetwood Mac took their place and so somehow, miraculously, more tickets were on sale. So I will now be seeing Fleetwood Mac and Stevie Nicks live for the first time ever on May 2nd, 2019. Woo! Now, the thing that I think you might appreciate, and some listeners might too, if they remember, is that like several episodes back, I talked about wanting to see Fleetwood Mac, but the tickets were so expensive because they came through New Orleans in February and the cheapest ticket was something like 200 50 bucks and i just bought an 87 dollar ticket to see them at a festival with several other acts it's called witchcraft bitches so are they the headliner then of that day yeah yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and okay so i'm confused because i know that rolling stones was supposed to perform and all the tickets sold out and then rolling stones isn't performing so what happens to all those tickets and well, so they're replacing Rolling Stones. So what? So like when I first bought my tickets, like for other days for Jazz Fest, I looked at the Rolling Stones day before they dropped out, and the tickets were all sold out. So I don't know if they in- all had already intended to release more tickets for that day closer to the event, or if people like got refunds because the Rolling Stones canceled, which is how I was able to get a ticket, even though it had previously been sold out. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm not sure. I don't know if people, some people returned it, because I'm sure a lot of people were going that day just to see the Rolling Stones. Yeah. So maybe that's what happened. But I bought tickets, literally, like, the second I read the headline, I opened up Eventbrite and bought them. I was like, I'm not going to risk not seeing Stevie Nicks. So I got my ticket. That's going to be so fun, especially, like, in a festival setting. I'm excited, too, because she's playing – they're playing Thursday, which obviously they're going to be a huge act, but most people don't come into town until, like, Friday or Saturday for the festival. So it's just, like, a great day to go anyway, and that's my favorite day. So it's going to be, like, crazy because it's them, but I think it would be, like, less crazy than if it was Friday or Saturday. So I'm fucking stoked. And – 
One more thing. This exact thing happened to me in 2016 when I went to Jazz Fest for the first time. I was still living in Oakland and I wanted to see Van Morrison. He was playing in downtown Oakland, but tickets were like 175 bucks. And I was like, fuck, I don't know. Like, I know I'm going to go to Jazz Fest in a few months. Like, fuck it. I'm not going to buy tickets. And then like three weeks later, they announced the Jazz Fest lineup and Van Morrison was on the lineup. So this is like two for two, bitch. I'm so stoked. That's awesome. (laughs) You're going to fucking have the best time ever. So that's like my big, that's my big news of the day. I should just throw stickers on stage. Like we cover you in episode four. Listen. You know what though? Mm -hmm. I bet you there were a lot of Rolling Stone fans that were not happy. I know. So I'm sorry for you guys. But like, honestly, in my opinion, Stevie Nicks is like more exciting. I know. Definitely. I know. People will probably like pick. Because, like, just like how you saw Elton John recently, and it's like, because you had to see him because he was not yeah. going to tour again and also might die because he's a million years old. Like, yeah. That's a band that's running out of time. So, mm-hmm. missing a show of theirs is like you might never see them again. So, not to laugh, but. Um, so sorry, Rolling Stones fans. But yeah, com- that's kind of a bummer. I know, but big come up for me. I'm sorry yeah. that your loss was my gain. But listen, it was fate. It was. It was. I agree. So very excited about that. Uh, the other thing to note is that we will be taking next week off because I will be out of town in Lafayette, Louisiana, for a couple days, which I've never been to, and I'm excited about. So the week of April 10th, we will not be posting an episode, but we will post the following week. So No, we are posting an episode the week oh, of you're April right. 10th. We're not recording the week of April 10th. Yeah, so we won't be posting an episode the week of like the 14th. There we go. Virgo, killing it. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's in Lafayette? So I'm about to find out. It's everyone says it's kind of like the only other city worth visiting in Louisiana. Um, and it's just kind of very old fashioned Cajun, like Cajun Cajun. I was told that some of the accents there you can't even understand. Um, I'm going to do a swamp tour, even though I've seen them here. But apparently there, it's like different swamps, different flora and fauna. And then I'm just going to kind of like see what's out there. Um, I think there's also a school, like some kind of university in town. So it's like a cute college vibe to it too. Mm-hmm. So, so we'll just see. I don't know. Cool. Just like wanted to get out of town for a couple days, but didn't want to spend a lot of money. So just rented a car and doing like a short little two day trip. With like a little hotel or something? I got an Airbnb with a nice. private pool, which I'm super excited about. Um, what? Exactly. It's so cute too. I can't wait. That's going to be fun. Yeah. Um, and I'm going all by myself. I love doing that. I love traveling alone. So, yeah. So I will report back. There are, like, some really weird places I want to visit, but I don't want to spoil them because I want to report back on them when I return. Well, so definitely, definitely try to upload some shit on the on the gram so we'll we can do. see what it looks like. 100%. Which, guys, if you aren't following us, please, we just need, like, eight more followers and we'll be at 300. <laughs> please just push us over the edge at Melissa Sisterhood. All right. Also, like, everyone hates me on Twitter. What do you mean? Like, just no one will speak to me on Twitter. <sighs> because Twitter's dumb. I fucking hate it. I don't, like... They don't reply back? What do you mean? No. Just, like, anything I write or post or just nothing. Just, I, listen, I was, like, I know how to 
get the people in the tweet world. <laughs> I'm going to post a poll. And to me, it seemed like the most important poll that's ever existed in mankind. And that was to get to the bottom of one thing. French fries or tater tots. Dude, that's important. One vote. What was it for? French fries. <laughs> <laughs> and you know who probably voted? Uh, neon? <laughs> Either neon or I was going to say the awkward screw. Oh, word. Or maybe sexy pillows. Yeah, maybe But sexy I feel pillows. like they'd be more tater tots kind of chicks anyway. Well, I'm a tater tot kind of chick, and that's why I needed to get to the bottom of it, because I wanted to know what the people thought. And out of 117 people, only one felt the need to vote. Maybe all of our followers, like us, also don't know how to use Twitter. No, I'm pretty sure they all know what's going on. God damn it. Well, follow us on Twitter at Mimosa Hood because we couldn't fit the sister. Or if you want to provide free labor to run our Twitter page because you're an expert and you know how to make that shit pop, by all means. Yeah. Pray for it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm like, uh-huh. I don't know what to say. Yeah. No bueno. Uh, speaking of, of the social meds. Shout out to Paula, Master P. Paula B., who correctly guessed uh, Melissa's, quote, villainess for last week, which was Jane Fuanza. And also, oh, the other thing we didn't mention, even though we mentioned at the top of last episode, uh, I hope you guys enjoyed our April Fool's prank. (laughs) Yeah, I already (laughs) forgot about that. Our special announcement. That's great. <laughs> yeah. A lot of our female podcaster friends enjoyed it and at least let us know that they saw it and they appreciated it. So mm-hmm. thank you. Thank you. Thanks, y'all. Okay. Wine review? Yeah, you go first. Okay. I'm excited about this wine because I don't think either of us have reviewed either this type or its origin before. I am drinking a Vino Verde um, from Portugal, which is- Is it a white or a red? It's a white. Okay. Um, I've never heard of that. I hadn't either. And when I was last week, I had gotten it, um, I had a friend over for dinner and she was like, no, it's really, really good. We should get it. And it was like eight bucks. And you know how I'm always fancy shit with my $18 wine. So it's like $10 off. That's great. It's really good. Um, it has a lovely royal blue wine label, which I am going to be posting those later this week. I know we're a little behind on those, but we want to start posting those. Um, and it just has like really fun stuff on the back or like silly things. For example, did you know that the Japanese postal services created a special edition of a stamp with this wine's label? So apparently there was a Japanese postal stamp with this wine's label. Casal Garcia. Um, it's good. It's very effervescent. Um, I don't know what else to say about it. It's just like a solid good wine. It's not too sweet. It's got a nice little finish to it and I'm fucking stoked about it. So Casal Garcia Vino Verde, Portugal, which is the classy way of saying Portugal. Look at you. Wait, wait, wasn't Portugal, was Portugal the flag that you knew offhand at that bar? <laughs> no, it was Argentina. Oh, okay, just kidding. But Melissa's I think I know the Portuguese flag. Was <laughs> do you know the Portugal, the Portuguese one? 
Um, Tell no. me, I'm gonna look it up. That's I think it. I was no, I think I was right now thinking of the the German flag. Um, Portugal. Okay. I think it's red. Will you look it up? It's look got, it up. It's most of it is red, but there's another color. It's like two colors. Um, is it red and yellow? No, there's like a yellow symbol on it though. Red, black, and yellow. Red, green, and, and oh, I was gonna say green. So it's like red and green, and then a coat of arms. See, I was thinking yellow. red, black, and yellow, but I think the German flag is red, black, yeah, and yellow. It is. See, I know my fucking flags pretty well. She's a fuck. I'm telling you, dude. <laughs> flag. You want to tell that story? Yeah. So we were at. Um, I already forgot the name of the bar, but it was where we met our dear friend Camel Tell, and. <laughs> They use, you know how, like, when you order food somewhere, they give you a little stand with a number? Instead, this bar used little mini- miniature flags from all kinds of different countries. And just from, like, dude, literally from, like, at least 20 feet away, Melissa looked <laughs> over at one of the flags. She's like, oh, I think that's the Argentinian flag. I was like, what? <laughs> like, A, I didn't even know Argentina was a country. B... Yeah, it's like a lie. B, I have no idea what the flag looks like, and that you could even see it from across the room like that and pick it out and name it. I was like, damn, girl. And I think I also guessed the Japanese flag when we were at that bar. I think you did too, yeah. <laughs> you were just showing off. You're like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. Oh, that's hilarious. But tell me, well, tell the tell the kids at home the reason why you remember the Argentinian flag. <laughs> Um, well, the reason why I know flags pretty well is because I'm obsessed with watching the World Cup, or I really love any type of athletic sports where it's, like, country versus country. Yeah. Um, and so I think I'm, like, so intrigued that I, like, heavily pay attention to the flags. But the reason why I like the Argentinian flag is because I'm obsessed with their hot-ass soccer player or football player, mm-hmm. Messi. Ooh, he's so messy. He's so messy. What's his name? Messy what? I need to look him up. Um, I can't remember his first name. Dan Peel. Oh, that's his last name is Messy. Okay. Yeah, his last name is Messy. Messy soccer player. Oh, with two. M-E-S-S. Lionel Messi. I was going to say like Liam or something. He has a very masculine face. Yeah, he's hot as fuck. And I love he has like gigantic Clark Gable ears. He's massive ears. And he's like one of the uh, older professional soccer players like at this time, like today. I think they're usually like, especially in the World Cup, they're usually really young. Like they usually like max out at 22 or something. And he's in his like 30s. Yeah. He's a cancer, if you must know. Oh, of course he is. Your your booze. Oh, God. Your number one favorite dick sign. The worst. Uh, all, right. all right. What are you drinking? Tell everyone. <sighs> I'm drinking, which honestly, I need to start buying more of these. They're like, yeah. they're literally like, first of all, this is the same size as our little flute. Oh, it's the whole The whole bottle fit in this little corksicle flute. Oh, it's meant to be. Right? So I guess that means our flutes are fuck. It doesn't show the ounces on here, but anyway, I'm drinking a Mionetto Prosecco, mm-hmm. and I got these in a little white elephant Christmas 
exchange. Cute. And I opened it up and it was 20 bottles of these and I was like, perfect. Holy shit. You have 20 yeah. of those? You have yeah. so much alcohol in your life at this point between like the birthday <laughs> bottles you haven't gone through, the deliveries, and now 20 bottles of <laughs> But they're tiny. They're literally just like a one glass shooter. Um, but which is kind of fun, like, especially when you're drinking Prosecco or a bubbly and it's freaking seven o'clock at night on a Thursday, you're not trying to like take down a whole bottle. And like you were saying last week, it's kind of hard to, you know, cork that up and put it back in the fridge and keep it carbonated. So I will have no problem taking one of these out. And if I feel like it, I'll go back for a second. (laughs) Or a third, fourth, (laughs) sixth of Nathan Ives of Love. (laughs) You have so many. Um, it's a little bit sweet. Word. Prosecco. Yeah. Yeah. But it's good. But I'm really fucking angry because, of course, me being me and my life being my life, my refrigerator is now broken for the second time. And when I grabbed it, it was at room temperature, even though it's been in my fridge since December. So, wah, wah. Um, that's really disappointing. This is just another chapter of the tales of Melissa's apartment drama. I think we need to, like, get you towards a new apartment at some point. It's so cheap here. Yeah. You want to know something? Okay, Mm -hmm. so, first of all, the fucking Hobbit moved out. The disgusting Hobbit creature that lives above me who destroyed my apartment is gone. She's officially (laughs) gone. It's the greatest fucking week ever. With that being said, this other guy that also lives in the apartment and also has a studio moved out, and he lives upstairs, and I know he has hardwood floor because I've, like, creeped in there before when people were moving out last time, and I knew it would be more expensive than mine, and it's, like, almost double my rent. Wow. And And I was like, yeah. Wow. And I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, unfortunately, things have changed in the neighborhood since you moved in. So, like, literally, I can't move. Mm. I couldn't afford it. Like, with the amount of money I make at my shithole job, like, I can only afford where I'm at right now. Yeah. It's like San Francisco all over again. Yeah. Once you were in, you couldn't leave. You could never leave. Yeah. Yeah. So, I guess I just have to continue dealing with broken fridges and 2019 floods and... I don't know. The, I guess the upside is I have George the cat. George! Jorge! We, that is the upside. He loves you yeah. so much. He's my friend. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, anyway, my wine review would be better <coughs> if I wasn't so bitter about my refrigerator being broken and this Prosecco not being as cold as I'd like it to be. Warm, sweet Prosecco with a side of bitter. Yes. (laughs) That is exactly what's happening right now. All right. Wine review. Done. Am I up first? You are. It's up to you. I could go first. Go for it. Okay. So I have something to say. (laughs) Great. I think that this is quite possibly... My most favorite woman I've covered yet. <gasps> Same with my woman. Tell me, tell me, tell me. The Why? only person, like, vi- like, who would come very close second to this woman is probably Gerda Taro. Okay. For whatever reason, I just fucking loved Gerda Taro. She's, okay. like, my favorite lady. Okay. Um, 
And I found this woman in the Ann Shen book. Ann Shen! Go Ann Shen! And again, for the eight billionth time, that book is called Bad Girls Throughout History. Um, and I'm fucking stoked. And just to add on one more thing, if I could go like back in time, I feel like... I should or would have been born this woman. (laughs) Okay. Like, reading her story, I just feel like I'm her. Wait, was she still alive when you were born? Uh, no. Maybe you are her. Maybe I am her! I mean, definitely not, because I she is so fucking cool and has done so many insane things that I definitely haven't lived up to that yet. But there's still a lot of life ahead of me, That's so you right. never fucking know. That's right. 30 is the new 20. <laughs> so, yeah, on that, I just think that's important for you and listeners to know. I think this might be my favorite woman to date. I'm excited. And I don't believe anybody knows who she is. I definitely didn't. I don't think you do unless you already came across her in the book. But here is her story. So her name is Elizabeth Cochran Seaman. But she's better known. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) Sorry. I didn't even realize right now that her last name was Seaman. And, of course, I'm like a little boy. Well, and her her middle is Cochran. (laughs) Well, even better, (laughs) she goes by the pen name Nellie Bly. Oh, Nellie Bly! Do you know her? I know of her, yes. You know, like, her whole story? I mean, I just know she was, like, a journalist. Yeah. That's all I know. Okay. So I'm excited. Okay, well, her her real name is Elizabeth Cochran Seaman, and she was smart enough to change that to (laughs) Nellie Bly. But for those that don't know, she's an American investigative journalist who's widely known for going undercover as an insane person to report on mental on a mental institution and for her record breaking trip around the world in 72 days. Nice. I didn't know that. Yeah. So Nellie was born Elizabeth Cochran in 1864 in the suburbs of Pittsburgh's Pennsylvania, and she was one of 15 children. Her father had 10 children with his first wife, and he had five with his second wife. Holy shit. <laughs> and she was one of the last group of five that oh my were born. God. As a young girl, she went by the name Pinky because she always wore the color pink, but she became a teenager and dropped the nickname because she wanted to portray herself as more sophisticated. She attended boarding school for one term, but then her father died and she was forced to drop out due to lack of money. Nellie ended up kickstarting her journalistic career in 1885 at the age of 21 after she anonymously responded to a misogynistic newspaper column titled What Girls Are Good For that claimed girls were meant for birthing children and for keeping up the house. Of course. Duh. Yeah. So she responded under the pseudonym Lonely Orphan Girl. Which prompted the editor, a man, 
of course, named George Madden, to run an advertisement asking the author to identify herself. He was so impressed with her passion and her written response that he wanted to offer her an opportunity to write a piece for the newspaper, again, under the pseudonym Lonely Orphan Girl, and she agreed. So her first article was titled The Girl Puzzle, which was about divorce and how it affected women, and she argued for reform of divorce laws. And once again, the fuckboy editor was impressed with her work, and so he offered her a full-time job. At this time, it was customary for women who were in newspaper to have pen names, so her fuckboy editor chose Nellie Bly for her. And it was apparently based off of a character that was named Nellie Bly, Mm -hmm. and the character's name was spelled N-E-L-L-Y, but he was a moron and, like, thought it was N-E-L-L-I-E and, like, wrote it down incorrectly and, like, she could never go back again after that. So this guy is giving her these jobs as the same douchebag who wrote that column about what women are good for? Yeah. Okay. All right. Interesting. Yeah. It's almost kind of like he is um, so intrigued that somebody's challenging him. Yeah. That he's like, what more can you do? Like, let's see what more you have, you know? It's probably Scorpio. Probably. (laughs) (laughs) So as a writer, Nellie focused her early work on the lives of working women, and she wrote a series of investigative articles on women factory workers. However, the newspaper soon received complaints from factory owners about her writing, Because she was, like, calling their shit out on their treatment of women factory workers. Of course. And so she was reassigned to the women's pages to cover fashion, society, and gardening, which was the usual role for women journalists. Without surprise, Nellie was fucking pissed. Mm -hmm. So what did she do? She says, fuck that, and she took off to Mexico, where she spent the next six months exposing life under the dictator Porfirio Diaz and reporting the lives and customs of the Mexican people. She was only 21 years old, and her reportings were published in a book that was titled Six Months in Mexico. In one report, she protested the imprisonment of a local journalist who was criminalized for criticizing the Mexican government. And when Mexican authorities learned of her report, they threatened her with arrest, which forced her to flee the country. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, they, like, ran her ass out because they were like, first of all, like, you're in Mexico and trying to, like, fucking fuck with our dictator like that like that doesn't fly and then you're also in mexico like talking shit about the fact that we imprisoned a journalist and like you're a journalist so we're gonna fucking imprison you too now oh my god so she had to flee the country and once she got home she again accused diaz of being a tyrannical czar suppressing the mexican people and controlling the press So, after that, in 1886, she left for New York City, where it took her four months to land her next job, and she was, like, virtually poor as fuck at that point. (laughs) Mood. Right? (laughs) And somehow, she ended up talking her way into the offices of Joseph Pulitzer's newspaper called The New York World. 
Wait, which, is this like the Pulitzer? I don't I don't know. I think I, it might be. I think it might be. As in should the we, prize. I should look it up. Look it since up. I'm, since I'm the prize guru, apparently. Okay. Um, so his newspaper, The New York World, was known for, like, really insane stories, often that made, like, you know, the top news headlines, like, the most circulated paper of its time. It was the most popular thing. And she was able to just, like, walk in his office one day and be like, yo, I need a job. Did you find out if he was it? Um, it is, hang on. What was his name? Joseph P-U-L-I-T-Z-E-R. That's the yep. one? Yep. It was established. The Pulitzer Prize was established in 1917 by provisions in his will. So that was like left over after he died. He wanted to make the... Interesting. Yeah. Wow. Crazy. So she got hired with his newspaper and she decided to take a very dangerous undercover assignment in which she agreed to fake insanity to investigate reports of brutality and neglect at the Women's Lunatic Asylum on Blackwell Island. That's so fucking badass. <laughs> that is so nuts. I know. <laughs> fucking daredevil. Um, it wasn't an easy task for her to be <laughs> admitted to the asylum. So first she decided to check herself into a boarding house called the Temporary Homes for Females, where she worked on proving her insanity. So she was living there and she would wander the halls and nearby streets. She refused to sleep. She ranted and yelled incoherently. And she even practiced looking crazy in the mirror. She'd stay up all night long to give herself the wide-eyed look of a disturbed woman. And she began making accusations that other women in the boarding home were insane. So she was just like, she was intentionally acting like a crazy person. And she eventually scared so many of the other people living at the boarding home that the police were called to take her to the nearby courthouse to have her evaluated. And once she was examined by a police officer, a judge, and a doctor, she was then taken to Blackwell Island. Holy crap. Yeah. I thought, like, I didn't, I thought you were saying she was doing all of this. Okay. She started at the boarding home. So she went, like, full method acting on this shit. Yeah. Damn, Nellie Bly. Yeah. Crazy. So... Um, so this Blackwell Island, it was originally built to hold a thousand patients, but they were cramming more than 1600 patients in that asylum. Mm. Due to extensive budget cuts, there was a sharp decline in patient care, which left only 16 doctors like on staff at one time having to take care of 1600 people. Wow, that's nuts. Like, it's not possible. No, no. So, like, already problem number one. So, the place was, like, already rumored to be, like, a haunted madhouse. And that's why she went to go undercover investigate, because there had been rumors for, like, years that it was just a shit show over there filled with crazed lunatics. And so, there were people that wanted to know, like, 
like her that wanted to get to the bottom and see if people were being mistreated. And then there were people like Charles Dickens who wanted to go and watch crazy people so that he could get like excitement and thrill out of it. Gross. So doctors and staff with little training and little compassion ordered harsh and brutal treatments that did little to heal and much to harm. Nellie quickly befriended her fellow inmates, which like she refers to them as inmates. Yeah. Because she believes that's what they all are. Right. Um, so she befriended like all these people that were in this asylum. And they revealed to her that, like, insane amounts of psychological and physical abuse was taking place. Uh, what they told her and what she witnessed while there were that patients were forced to take ice-cold baths and then remain in wet clothes for hours, which resulted in illnesses. They were forced to sit on still benches without speaking or moving for stints that lasted up to 12 hours at a time. Some were tethered together with ropes and forced to pull carts around like mules. <laughs> Food and sanitary conditions were horrific with rotten meat, moldy stale bread, and contaminated water. Those who complained were beaten, and Nellie even spoke of threats of sexual violence by some of the staff members. Ugh. Nellie was shocked to discover that many of the inmates were not even insane. Yeah. They were recent immigrants, mostly women, that were caught up in law enforcement system and were unable to communicate due to them not speaking the English language. So just others sorry. Others were committed simply for being poor mm -hmm. and who had no family to support them, so they were just like wrangled up and thrown in this <laughs> asylum. After 10 days, the asylum released Nellie at the request of her editor. Her first articles were published within days, and then later she published a book that was titled 10 Days in a Madhouse, which caused a sensation, prompting the asylum to implement reform, and it brought her long-lasting fame. A month after her articles were published, a grand jury panel visited the asylum to investigate, but unfortunately, the hospital and its staff were tipped off in advance, so they, like, quickly got their shit together, cleaned everything up, brought, like, normal food in there, scrubbed all the rooms down, like, put their patients in, like, nicer clothes, um... And a lot of the inmates were either released or they were transferred. And those were probably the inmates that, like, weren't actually insane. Yeah. Because people would come and be like, oh, my God, you're normal. You just can't speak English. Who, like, I want to know who tipped him off. Right? Like, who would do that? Yeah, it's probably that fucking editor. <laughs> um, so the staff denied that. Like, everything that Nellie claimed, they denied it was, you know, false. They said none of, that's, none of that's true. And they ensured that they had all fresh food and water in the asylum when the jury showed up. But despite the cover-up, the grand jury agreed with Nellie. So, like, clearly they didn't have enough time to make it perfect because I think the grand jury was kind of looking around and being like, mm, it's not adding up. Like, yeah. you know, everyone's acting skittish. It's weird. Like, I don't know about this. And so... They agreed with Nellie, and a bill was pushed through to increase funding for mental institutions, adding nearly $1 million to the department budget. 
abusive staff members were fired and translators were hired to assist the immigrant patients. Nellie quickly became recognized as one of the most famous journalists in the world. Yes. Keep in mind, she was only fucking like, I think she was 23 when this happened. Wow. Yeah. Insane. So, two years later, she made headlines again when she suggested to her editor that she wanted to take a trip around the world. At 9.40 a.m. on November 14th, 1889, and with two days' notice, she boarded the Augusta Victoria, a streamer of the Hamburg-America line, and began her journey. She took with her the dress she was wearing, a sturdy overcoat, several changes of underwear, and a small travel bag carrying her toiletry essentials. She carried most of her bag tied around her, or I'm sorry, she carried most of her money in a bag that was tied around her neck. She traveled using steamships and the existing railroad system, which caused occasional setbacks, particularly on the Asian leg of her race. And during these stops, she visited a leper colony in China, and she's picked up a monkey friend in Singapore. (laughs) Just over 72 days after her departure from Hoboken, she was back in New York. She had circled the globe, traveling alone for almost the entire journey. Wow. In 1895, she retired from journalism following her marriage to a millionaire manufacturer, Robert Seaman. Get your fucking life, bitch. Nellie was 31. Robert (laughs) was 73. Damn, I love her so much. She's like, you're going to be here for five seconds and that money is mine. Well, guess what she did? So due to her husband's failing health... She ended up succeeding him as head of the ironclad at the manufacturing company of which he owned. And the company made steel containers such as milk cans and boilers. And in 1905, his ass died. She later returned to writing, including a stint as a foreign correspondent during World War I until her death in 1922 at the age of 57. Wow. And that's her story. What a fucking badass. <laughs> that is so... Okay, t- I want to know... We all want to know, like, what about her story, besides the, like, general badassery of it, is, like, makes you, like, oh, that's who I was, or that's who I would have been in that time? Um, well, I've always wanted to be a writer. Like, and when I... when I, I don't even know if you know this. When I uh, applied to San Francisco State, I was a journalism major. Oh, really? Yeah. That's what I was going to be, too. Yeah. How funny. So I had always planned on being a journalist. And then when I took my, like, prereq classes in journalism, at least at SFC, I hated it. Mm. I just – it just wasn't the type of journalism I think I wanted to do. It was like – I don't know. It just wasn't what I had thought it'd be. And then I ended up dropping out and switching my majors. But – Even just, like, Gloria Steinem, that, like, insane, badass, journalistic investigating is, like, a dream of mine. I fucking love that shit. I wish that I had, like, followed that path in my career because I think I would have, one, been really good at it. (laughs) And two, like, probably, 
I think it would have given me, like, a lot of joy. I think, like, cracking, you know, the whip and getting down to the bottom of shit, like, and then, like, actually figuring things out and, like, getting answers would be, like, the fucking coolest gratifying feeling ever. Like, your work is, like, contributing to larger things and you're making change on a larger scale. Mm -hmm. So that's number one. And then also just, like, she has this insane amount of, like confidence and like ability to take risks without like without any fear Mm -hmm. or at least without any fear that we can see throughout her story and she's just so focused on doing whatever the fuck she wants to do and it just seems like like that comes first in her life yeah like you know you learn very little you don't hear anything about relationships until she marries this millionaire (laughs) Like, I don't know that she ever had kids. Like, it almost just seems like she was just, like, on a mission to make change. And that was through investigative journalism. And she would stop at fucking nothing. It was, like, she was just a go-getter, but she was successful at it. Yeah. And I think it's fucking... I wish that I, like, was like that. But also just when she fucking takes off to, like, travel the world, I'm like, oh, that is my dream. Yeah. So if I were to ever die and come back alive, she's pretty much living the life or did live the life that I would want to live. Also, I mean, I just want to point out that you're only 29 and you (laughs) could still do a lot of that shit. Like, you could still become an investigative journalist. Yeah, that would be pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, you're still fucking young. Like, But I'm not going to Mexico and I'm not calling out some dictator. No. Let Parker Walters <laughs> do that. <laughs> let Babs handle that shit. That's a little much for me. <sighs> All right. Will I be able to guess her sign? Is it, like, obvious? No. Okay. And it, it makes me feel like we need to look up her, like, moon and, like, uh, rising. Because okay. I just, I don't see this sun sign matching up with this lifestyle. Got it. Okay. So, while you were talking, I was like, I feel like she has to be earth or fire. Is she either one? She is one of those, yes. Okay. And I feel like she's probably cardinal, but maybe not. Um, but you said that it's, like, not necessarily obvious. It wasn't to me. Is she a... Okay, I'm going to guess. Is she a... Is she a Virgo? No. Okay. Is she a Leo? No. Okay, one more. <gasps> Capricorn. Nope. <sighs> She fucking <laughs> like here. Is she Sagittarius? No. She's in. What is she? She's a Taurus. Oh my god! I'm putting that on the altar. I would have never uh, guessed Taurus. Right? Ever? Would I ever. ever guess Taurus? Like especially traveling the world. I'm like Taurus is all about staying rooted and grounded and like never leaving your hometown and like I, that's nuts. Yeah. So that's why like we would need to see what else is in her chart because mm. none of that. None of that really screams Taurus to me other than maybe, like, I guess there's, like, a bit of stubbornness in, like, her just, especially with the writing, like, she didn't like that misogynistic article, and so she, like, bashes it, and then she gets a job, and they're like, oh, you're causing too much issues with the factory people, let's put you in, like, makeup, and she's like, uh, no, I'm not gonna do that, so I'm off to Mexico to go handle real investigative shit, 
Like, I think she maybe there's a little bit of edge there. Yeah, sure. Okay. Where she's kind of, like, not willing to accept what people are, like, the circle people are trying to push her into. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I just, I don't know. Yeah, I don't I see don't... really any other Taurus in her. Same. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, also, though, don't you love that she was fucking, like, sugar daddying that shit in the 1800s? Like, no shame. <laughs> like, when it's that big of a difference, like, we know what you're doing. I didn't know people did shit like that back then. I mean, I can't believe anything she did, she did back then. Yeah, Going all, to Mexico like, and, like, the 18-whatevers as a woman. I, I mean, like, all of it is insane. <laughs> She's just no fucks to give, which, like, is maybe... But that's, honestly, that's why I thought she was fire. Yeah. Oh, no, I was going to guess Sagittarius. My first guesses were fire, but then I threw out the Virgo because I was like, watch, she's going to be an Earth sign. So, interesting stuff. I really didn't even get that much Earth from her, either. Um, well, I think she's obstinate. I mean, I, I guess it wasn't that I necessarily felt she was earthy, I just knew for a fucking fact she was an error water. I'm like, oh, oh no. no. <laughs> Definitely not either one of those. Um, interesting. Right? It also makes me, I did want to throw this out when you mentioned that fucking editor. I, in t- I think it was 2013, wrote a letter to the editor of the Oakland Tribune because some old male columnist has had talked about like, Miley Cyrus of all people and how she wasn't behaving ladylike like Vanessa Hudgens was or something like that and I was like it's 2013 like what the fuck are you and they ran my letter no and like way. the guy the columnist like sent me an email what did he say he was actually really nice like I was kind of embarrassed I was like I didn't think he was gonna say anything <laughs> I mean, honestly, he was just, like, very gracious. He was like, I appreciate you, like, having such a passionate, articulate response. And, like, thanks for, like, making me aware of that. I was like, you're welcome. That's probably a little bit rough. But anyway. Oh, did you, like, rip him to pieces? No. Well, yeah, kind of. I mean, I did. It was pretty. I mean, you have to keep in mind, 2013, we had just graduated. And I was in, like, the height of my feminist rage, too. You know? Like, I had just learned everything. And I was still so mad about everything. You know? Like, we were all, like, woke and raw. Um So yeah, I, that's like, a really good way to put it. We were off. woke and raw. <laughs> we were like, okay, so we've probably mentioned this before, guys, but both Melissa and I majored in sociology. We're like, all they did was basically tell you like everything is a lie. This world is terrible. Nobody likes anybody. Okay, bye. Have fun starting your careers. <laughs> we're like, wait, what? Like, we need like therapy now. What have you done? Yeah. <laughs> But seriously, they need like they need like exit therapy for majors like that, like poli sci, like any of those things where you have to. It's psychology. Like, give us something. At least I send know. us off with booze. Something. Oh my god. Yeah. Well, that's why we had to get so blacked out at our graduation. Yeah, which we did. Which we did. <laughs> so yeah, I d- I know that like Miley Cyrus is a, a, she's hashtag problematic, but I defended her in the Oakland Tribune. Listen, she just likes to get high and fuck my dream boyfriend, Liam Hemsworth. So, like, I'm not hating. I didn't realize you loved him so much. I saw that on our Instagram. I thought for sure you were going to put Jake. I know. Well, Jake was my original husband, but it's since evolved into Liam. I mean, he's getting older, you know. Yeah. Yeah. We just got to keep trading him in for the younger. Exactly. Isn't that that how it works around here? I don't know if that's what they do to us, so (laughs) why should not? 
<laughs> Nelly Bly, girl. I kind of want to go crazy and like. Could you imagine just like wandering the streets like a crazy person? That sounds great. Like no, like seriously, like think of how liberating that would be. Well, fuck the way I dress. Half the time, I think people think I'm crazy. I get some weird looks. So just like screaming out like vulgarities and profanity. <laughs> roaming the streets if i did that in my neighborhood the police would be called in less than a minute well i was gonna say, even though i live in a very bougie part of town i still live in new orleans so people just be like hey whatever like what up girl yeah <laughs> i know is normal here so um, funny when's her birthday because it's coming out i think it was may 5th okay yeah may 5th nelly bly i'm gonna try to remember that and i'm gonna forget but so I can post on IG about oh, it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Are we ready for me? We're, for my we're lady? We're ready. We're ready. This is by far my favorite woman I've ever covered. I shouldn't say by far. Like, I've loved so many of the women I've covered, but this woman has just, like, her story's just nonstop badass. Like, thing after thing after thing after thing. And I think you are going to fucking love her, not only because her story is so cool, but because there's all these little tiny factoids about her life that don't necessarily pertain to, like, the big story, but that I think you're really going to appreciate because they relate to your life. So. Okay. And I don't know. You may have heard of her. You may have not. I don't know. I, today... We'll be covering the story of tennis megastar Billie Jean King. Nice. You know who I'm talking about? Uh, yes. Billie is in one of our books. Okay. I don't think she's in bad. I don't think she's in the Anne Shen book, though, but she's in one of the other ones I have. Yeah. I don't know that you could call her a bad girl, but she's a badass girl. Yeah. <sighs> Billie Jean King, for y'all who do not know was a massive tennis star in the 1960s and 1970s. She was a very visible women's rights icon. She was like BT dubs. This is the first thing you're going to love about her. She was like frenzies with Gloria Steinem. Nice. Um, like, like on a first name basis, talking on the phone level shit. Um, she also, I watched a documentary about her, of course, in preparation for this episode. And Hillary Clinton was all over that documentary talking about how much she loved Billie Jean King, um, as were many other humongous named celebrities. So she's like big fish. Billie Jean King was born Billie Jean Moffat, I think is how you say it, in Long Beach, California. No way. Born and raised. Uh, Crazy. Uh huh. Born in 1943. Her mother was a straight up classic 50s mom, homemaker, sold Avon, just like leave it to beaver level stuff. Her dad was a firefighter, and all of her family was super athletic. Uh, her parents were both very athletic. Her siblings were very athletic. They all grew up playing sports every single day of their lives, they said. And in fact, one of her brothers went on to become a pitcher for the MLB, playing for none other than what we all know to be the greatest baseball team of all time, <laughs> the San Francisco, San Francisco Giants. Giants. What, what in the butt? Okay. <laughs> God, I forgot about that. <laughs> oh my 
I don't even remember what that was from, but um, yeah. So her brother played for the Giants. And she actually grew up playing softball in Long Beach. And I actually read online that she was playing in a league with girls who were four or five years older than her. She was just that good. And she played as a, like, a bomb-ass shortstop until she was, like, 10 or 11. Did it say what field she plays at? It didn't, but it did say that she won a Long Beach softball championship, whatever that means. I wonder if she played at the softball field that I play at every Sunday. Dude, probably. Wouldn't that be crazy? You should call her and ask. She's still alive. (laughs) Um, I should check. I wonder if that's mentioned. But either way, I didn't note that down. But she said that she realized at some point that softball stopped being an opportunity for women. You couldn't really play it in high school. There weren't very many sports that you could do at that time past a certain age as a female. Or she said it, quote, we didn't have anything for us. Then one day, one of her wealthier schoolmates, who was also super into sports, turned to her and was like, hey, why don't you play tennis? And she was like, what, what is tennis? I don't even know what this is. And the girl was like, you run around and you jump a lot and you hit a ball. And Billie Jean King said in this documentary I watched, she's like, well, those were all three of my favorite things. So I knew that I wanted to try tennis. So she goes to, to some like open court with that girl and immediately falls in love with tennis. She's like, this is it. I want to fucking do this. Goes back to her dad. She's like, dad, I want to play tennis. He was like, well, you're going to have to buy your own racket. How badly do you want it? So she goes around the neighborhood and does a bunch of odd jobs for her neighbors and saves up $8 and gets home a fucking tennis racket. And nice. she starts playing on the free public, cl- public courts in Long Beach. And according to her brother... She came home from her first tennis practice and told her family, quote, I'm going to be the best player in the world. So she... Go ahead. Sorry. Uh, Real quick, my sister plays tennis on the local tennis courts in Long Beach. Where, where, where? Um, It would be off, like, Carson Street. Is is it at Recreation Park? I don't know what park that is. Believe it or not, that is a park in Long Beach. I had to, like, Google it to make sure that's the name. I bring that up because, well, we can skip to this now. Because in Recreation Park, there is a tennis court called the BJK Billie Jean King Tennis Center. No way! Yes, bitch. And I'm going to need you to go down there and take a picture of it. Oh, fuck yeah. Recreation Park? Oh, my God. Recreation Park is... Um, not where my sister plays, but it's really close to my house. You have to go. There's probably, like, a plaque or a sign that says her name. literally, I can walk there. Oh, my God, yes! Yeah, it's super close to my house, and my softball field is right next to Recreation Park. (gasps) I bet your ass she played at Joe Rogers Field. (gasps) I saw that on the map. Girl, you have to get... That's like the first ever Mimosa Sisterhood field trip. Fuck yeah. That is so rad. I can hit all these places up this Sunday because I have softball this Sunday. (laughs) That makes me really happy. Um, Okay, so she's like 11 years old when she starts playing tennis. She's like, this is it. I fucking love this. I'm I'm doing this. Uh, But she did mention that she realized early on how white and elitist tennis was. And for the most part... For the most part, tennis is a sport of the rich. Billie Jean King didn't grow up in a rich family. She grew up very working middle class. But 
Um, that's just because she had a lot of access to stuff living in Long Beach. I guess they just had a lot of like free recreation. Shit ton. Yeah. And so she realized that she could make a difference in the world if she got good enough at tennis, if she got to be so good that she could be highly visible, then she could start speaking out against elitism and all this inequality and injustice. Like that was really important to her. So on she fucking goes. So after high school, she starts attending Cal State University, L.A., um, but she ends up dropping out so she can focus completely on tennis. But while she's at Cal State, she meets Larry King, who she ends up marrying at 21 years old. No joke in the documentaries, she says, so that we could have sex. Because this is back in the day when you didn't do that shit and she was a good girl. Which Larry King? He's not like the Larry King. <laughs> okay. But I do want to say we fucking love him. Do we? We love Larry King in this story. And I like don't I was thinking this because we have like we have baby back bitch and we have fuckboy. I'm like, but we don't really have like a fun phrase for the men that we love. For the men yeah. that support women. And we should, like, come up with one. We should. So think about that while we continue. So we love Larry. Um, she totally loved him. She thought that he was a total babe. And, bitch, Larry was a babe. Was he? Yeah, he was banging. <laughs> like, he was so fine. So they get married when she's 21. Um, he's in law school. She's doing tennis full time. And she actually credits him for introducing her to feminism. So, like, we fucking love Larry. He's um. It. One second. The Billie Jean King Tennis Center is 226 feet from my softball field. Oh, my God. <laughs> Which means she totally played at my softball field. She totally did. I'm playing softball in the same field as BJK. I bet you you do. I bet. Ah! So I will be documenting all of this on Sunday. You will. Thank you. Okay. I'm so excited. Okay. Makes me really happy. Okay. So we love Larry. Um, her first big, big, big tennis event was Wimbledon in 1961. We've all heard of Wimbledon. She was 17 years old. It's her first ever Wimbledon. And she wins the women's doubles title and it, her and her partner, who's 18 years old, are the youngest team to ever win women's doubles. And at first, when she first started playing, people loved her because in her words, she was chatty. So she loved talking to the press. She loved talking to the media. She was very personable. But she says that once she started winning and becoming a real champion, then the story changed completely. And I want to read a quote of hers. They liked it when you didn't win. You know, you're a jolly good sport. You came close. Bad luck. They loved finalists. But once she actually started winning, people pointed out how aggressive she was on the court, which they thought of as being masculine. They thought she was too um, upset when she would lose. So she would act out and get angry when she would lose, which like BT dubs male athletes do all the fucking time. But because she was a female, they're like, oh, my God. But what about the women at home? What will they think? And uh, one dude even... One of the, the news programs that was mentioned in this documentary, this old dude was like, these women are not exceptionally graceful like the old tennis players. Like, 
Which made me think of Surya Bonali and just like other athletes we've covered with this emphasis on how you look. Like, bitch, it's a sport. This isn't modeling. It's about how you're playing and performing, not how you look. But anyway. So also like the media would always ask about her marriage. Like, how do you have a tennis career and are married at the same time? Which like no one asks men that. Nobody asks men like, how do you have a marriage and have an athletic career? Because it's assumed that the woman's taking care of everything at home. Yeah. So they also would like really demean her husband in the in interviews and like in the media and stuff and basically try to make it sound like she was demasculating him, which is all the more reason to love him because he like didn't care. Like he didn't care. Like all of that just rolled off his back. He's like, whatever, dude, I'm dating like this tennis superstar. I'm in law school. It's going to be fine. Um, that yeah. you know what to like to hate a woman so much that then you have to like belittle her husband. Come yeah, please. Like so that you could like, you know, make him start second guessing her and like by tarnishing his ego. Like what? Right, right. Like it's, can't he? Can't they just be happy? Like why? You. Why can't they just have like a good marriage and like like each other? Well, and like this is the thing. Whatever this phrase that we need to come up with is like this is the distinguishing thing between that and being a baby back bitch. I was thinking about the theory of baby back bitch because <laughs> BBB theory, girl. Because like when I, like if you had to sum up baby back bitch, basically what it is is it's a dude whose like sense of masculinity or sense of confidence and self esteem is so easily impacted by anything anyone, especially women, do, and it's like he's the exact opposite of that. He's like, bro, like I'm secure in myself. Like you yeah. don't need to come after me in an interview with my wife because I'm the opposite of a baby back bitch. We we love Larry King. We really love him. <laughs> Um, so as her career continues in her early 20s, she ends up becoming very, very much an activist within the world of tennis. At this point, tennis wasn't really a professional sport, which meant like you couldn't play tournaments for pay. It was all amateur, except people totally paid. It was just all under the table. So she referred to that as shamateur tennis. So this thing where like, you would win a title or whatever, an open, I don't know anything about tennis. And they basically just give you like a few hundred bucks under the table. So it was already happening, but it wasn't official. And so in 1968, the game officially goes pro in what is called the tennis open era, whatever. Um, And of course she wins Wimbledon that year because like, duh, she's just out there snatching all of the titles. The prize money for the a male um, winner of Wimbledon was $2,000 and her prize money was $750. Nice. So his money was double her money. Oh, wait. No. Oh, wait. I heard that wrong. I heard that wrong. No, he made like (laughs) way more money than she did. Okay. And she was like, and so her whole thing was like, what the fuck? Like, why should they get more? So in, I don't know how it is now because again, I don't watch tennis, but back then, women would play three sets and men would play five sets. So the men were basically trying to argue like, well, we play, we play more sets than you. And her argument was like, fuck sets. You guys make money based off of TV viewership and who buys tickets to these games or these matches. So if we pull in as many people as you do, we should get the same amount of money because we're making this league the same amount of money basically. Yeah. So she becomes an advocate for fair pay in tennis. So, 
all of these professional tournaments from this point forward, the winning ratios between men and women is like 10 to 1, 11 to 1, 12 to 1. Like they're just making so much more money than the female athletes. And so she ends up with urging and support from Larry King, our love. Our love. She, She forms a small group of women's tennis players, which is her plus eight other women, so nine women. And um, with the help of World Tennis Magazine founder Gladys Heldman and with the sponsorship of cigarette company Virginia Slims, she helps create the first female tennis tour in the 1970s. Nice. Oh, but wait. The U.S. Tennis Association is fucking pissed because, like, how dare they? And they threaten to suspend all of the nine women who have formed this little women's group. For what, under what reason? For being, for being a baby back bitch. Like, that's, there's no reason. Like, you're starting your own, like, tennis group, we're gonna suspend you? Yeah. Like, basically just sexism. Like, there's really no, they basically were just like, no, we're in control of tennis. And she's like, well, then bitch pay us. So, oh my god. Yeah, exactly. Um, then nobody ends up getting suspended. And she you have to keep in mind, she's the best in the world at this point. So they're not gonna fucking suspend her. No. <laughs> like, and I think she knew that. She was like, try me, bitch. Try me. In 1971, she becomes the first female athlete ever to win over a hundred thousand dollars in prize money, like over the span of that entire year, which is huge. Even yeah. in the 1970s for a female, a hundred thousand dollars is a fuck ton of money. But she wants more. Not more money, but more opportunities and more equality for women. So in 1973, she becomes the first president of the Women's Tennis Association, which is the Female Players Union. In 1974, her and our love Larry found Women's Sports Magazine, and they also start the Women's Sports Foundation. Her and her husband also founded a U.S. mixed gender pro tennis league called World Team Tennis in 1973. During the early 1970s, um, Title IX was was on the docket to be passed. So Title IX gave colleges funding to offer female athletes programs, athletic programs, and also athletic scholarships. Mm. So that was like a huge deal because that meant way more women can go to college because they had these athletic scholarships that could pay their way. And she was a huge advocate for Title IX. That was passed in 1972. Also in 1972, in the first ever issue of Miss Magazine, she is listed along with many other well-known women as a woman who has gotten an abortion. Oh, shit. So she basically made public the fact that in 1972, this is before Roe v. Wade, she admits that she had an abortion. So an illegal and, like, sketchy abortion. Um, I think it was legal. Oh, okay. It just, it's not constitutionally protected yet. Got it. Yeah. But still, like, I mean, even today, people are like, I want to kill you if you have an abortion. So that's a big fucking deal for her to come out and say that. Yeah. Uh... So that's that. Also in the early 1970s, in comes probably the biggest baby back bitch we've ever covered. Bobby fucking Riggs. Now, this is what both her and Bobby Riggs are maybe most famous for, is a very famous tennis match called the Battle of the Sexes. In 2018, there was a movie made about it with Steve Carell and Emma Stone. Emma Stone played Billie Jean King. 
I've never seen this. Yeah. But I'm already cracking up just imagining those two. Bitch, <laughs> wait for this. You actually, like, Emma Stone looks great. She's got, like, the 70s glasses yeah. on, and she's got the hair. It's so good. Bobby Riggs is literal trash. That's what my notes say. Literal trash. At this point in the early 70s, he's in his mid-50s. He was once a great tennis player. He won Wimbledon. He won other titles. And he basically, like, makes it his purpose in life to completely demean female athletes and try to get them out of sports. That's what he's decided to do in his retirement. Great. This is a quote from, from, from Bobby Riggs. Quote, Women have been having this is in the 1970s, mind you. Women have been having things go too good for them for a long time. (laughs) Oh, it gets better. American women are the most privileged of all time in history, and they're still not satisfied. Bobby Riggs absolute trash so then he he's also a self-described proud male chauvinist pig his words like verbatim his words his words verbatim and p and he and he starts talking like in the media i mean he's also a huge showman he's basically doing this for media attention right so like fuck him but i think most of this is just him trying to get people to like give him money and pay attention to him and people fucking love him Women love him. Men love him. People are like, yeah, of course, women. They've had it so good for so long. Please knock them down a few notches. Great. Okay. So he starts challenging all of these young tennis players. And his whole thing is like, I'm in my mid-50s, and I bet you that I could still be the best female tennis player in the world. So he challenges Billie Jean King, and she's like, fuck you, no. I have other shit I have to do with my time. You can eat a fucking dick. Direct quote. Um, (laughs) And then this other tennis player who's also like one of the best female tennis players of all time named Margaret Court. She decides to to rise to the challenge. I have a lot to say about Margaret Court and none of it is very good. So I'm not going to say it. But she decides to play into his little ego trip and he beats her ass. He just fucking slaughters her. It's like six to one, six to two, six to zero, six to one. He just absolutely destroys her. And Billy, her concern with the match, aside from the fact that she's basically just playing into this guy's ego, is that this is 1973. It's literally the year after Title IX got passed. And she just thought that there was so much at stake. You know, she was like, if this huge media circus happens and he ends up beating me, people are going to use that as ammunition to be like, see, women can't play sports when a woman's house or a woman's role is in the house, in the kitchen. She shouldn't be out playing tennis, blah, blah, blah. And she was just like, I'm not going to do that. But for some reason, after Margaret Court loses, Billy decides to come up and sweep up the pieces. And she's like, I'm going to take his ass out. (laughs) So... September 20th, 1973, at age 29, she goes head to head with Bobby Riggs in the Battle of the Sexes. It is a complete fucking media circus. She is literally, I mean, she's playing into it too. She's literally carried out, I don't know what you call them, on like, like think Cleopatra style, on like that little like platform yeah, thrown yeah, with yeah, four yeah. men <laughs> carrying her what? to the court. I'm not kidding. I saw video footage. He arrives in like a chariot. 
or like a rickshaw or whatever the fuck it's called how dramatic is this so she when they like meet face to face on the court he gives her i didn't note it down i think he gives her a piece of candy and she gives him a squealing baby pig to like to like signify male chauvinist pig like literally a live yeah. animal yeah she like hands him a oh it's like God. this huge thing he's got all of this money invested in it he's literally wearing a sugar dad like the candy sugar daddy sponsored him to wear a jacket wait do you know how old he is he's 55 or 56 during right now during this match uh-huh Oh, yeah, he's old. so he was way older and she was 29. Yeah. But okay, so, but he was but, like, he was like, I don't give a fuck. I can still beat you. Well, yeah. Well, because Margaret Court was also really young and he yeah, yeah. her ass. Got it. Okay. So he's just like showing off. It's a whole yeah. fucking thing. And there's prize money. You know, it's something like over $100,000 worth of prize money, which is a lot of money back then. So 50 million people tuned in worldwide to this match. It was considered the match of the century, given the fact that I've literally never watched a single tennis match on television in my entire life. 50 million people in the 1970s sounds like a whole lot of people. Yeah. So it was like a big deal. His whole strategy. So remember when I said earlier that women played in sets of three and men played in sets of five? Uh huh. It was a five set match. So his whole strategy was like, I'm just going to wear her down. I'm going to tire her out. Boop, 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 boop. She starts off the match um, a little bit off he ends up beating her in the first match or in the first set or whatever the fuck it's called but girl she kicks his ass six three six two like she just fucking kills him nails him to the fucking wall and wins the battle of the sexes to prove to everybody watching worldwide that women do fucking deserve to be in sports and fuck you bobby riggs how, do we know how he responded after he lost? He said, I mean, he, I think, took it in stride because for him, it really was about the media. Yeah. Right? But he said, like, to this day, he's like, this is what I'm going to be remembered for. Not going to Wimbledon, not doing all the great things I've done in my tennis career, but the fact that La- Billie Jean King yeah. fucking kicked my ass in Battle of the Sexes and serves you fucking right. Oh, my God. So that's, like, a huge famous thing that she's known for, right? There's a whole movie about it. That's why people know her name. She was worried about the media attention because at this time in the early 1970s, she starts to realize that she is gay. But she doesn't want anybody knowing. So she's a little bit nervous about that. In 1981, so this is several years after the match, her ex-secretary, and as it turns out, ex-lover, Marilyn Barnett, publicly outs her. Ooh. Yeah, not cool, guys. Not cool. Cool to be gay, not cool to out people. Um, Billy and Larry, our love Larry, hold a press conference together where she admits to the affair because she kind of, like, doesn't know what else to do, and that's what happened. And uh, Larry, this is a quote from Larry in the documentary I watched. Quote, it didn't make me love her any less. And they stay married for several more years. Really? Yes. I wonder if they just like worked out some type of deal. Well, she has said she's like, I really did love him and I was attracted to him. But like, I think that was maybe just the only man she ever held that way about. Yeah. 
Um, and like, I don't blame her because he was a babe and a sweetheart. Like, he could turn anybody <laughs> anyway. <laughs> he was a babe and a sweetheart. Yeah. Like, he probably turned men gay and women straight and all kinds of shit. Yeah. But we love Larry. But like, boo that she was outed without her consent and with no warning. And she estimates that she lost over $2 million worth of endorsements after she was outed because this is wow. still the 80s and people are like, fuck you, don't be gay. And she also mentioned that, like, at that time, her parents were super homophobic. So it was like this huge deal to be outed like that, right? Mm. So her and Larry remain married until 1987. And at that point, she falls in love with her doubles partner, Ilana Kloss. Which is super cute. Uh, her and Larry, to this day, remain close. She's the godmother of his son that he had with his next wife. Oh, Yeah. And uh, she's still with Ilana to this day. She is now 75 years old. All three of them, Ilana, Larry, and Billie Jean King, run that world tennis, that world team tennis that I mm-hmm. mentioned way back. Like, they're all part owners and part leadership that's amazing isn't that so rad she has done extensive work with the elton john aids foundation which i also thought you would like he is all over that documentary they're like bffs no way yeah they're like besties he loves her Mm -hmm. and just quickly to wrap her up i could literally do a whole episode talking about all the things she's won because she was an amazing tennis player but that'd be boring as fuck so i'll just sum it up with this she won 39 grand slam titles she was at one point the number one tennis player or female tennis player in the world and she is regarded as one of the most excuse me she is regarded as one of the best competitors ever by many people in the sport of tennis not just because she won so many titles, but because she just was such a fierce competitor on the court. One of the quotes I read, I didn't write it down, but somebody said, they were like, you, even if you were winning against her in a match, you never felt confident because you just never knew with Billie Jean King. Yeah. She could just come back and kick your ass at any moment, which is so cool. Um, and then in 2009, Barack Obama awarded her the Presidential Medal of Freedom, which is the highest honor that a civilian can get in the United States government. And that is the story of Billie Jean King, my second fucking lesbian. But this one is super badass. Yep. It's my lesbian redemption. And like, honestly, just to wrap up on her, dude, like reading her story from just her dedication to the game, her statement that she was going to be the best and then she became the best. The fact that she publicly admitted to having an abortion, that she was such an outspoken advocate of women's rights, that she did so much in the world of tennis in terms of like starting the union and all that stuff, that she fucking kicked that baby back bitch's ass and redeemed the entire fucking sport. And I just like, she's just so amazing. She's just so badass. I'm so happy you covered her. I didn't know any of her story. Yep. Oh, my God. Also, just can't even get over the fact that I basically play on the grounds that she was playing on. Yeah. I know. Ridiculous. I was super excited to see that she was from Long Beach. Ridiculous. I do, unfortunately, have one negative thing to say about Billie Jean King. What? Her and her partner are minority owners of the L.A. Dodgers. Oh. <laughs> Boo. Except half of our audience loves the Dodgers because they're people you work with in, in Irvine. <laughs> I, not very many people. Good. That, I don't think a lot of our listeners are Dodgers fans. Great. Boo. 
<laughs> if if that's the worst thing she can be accused of, then we'll take it. You know, I mean, yeah, literally, that's like the worst thing she ever did. All right. Um, for whatever reason, I'm getting like a watery feel from her. Well, her sign is really interesting. Really? Because she is like a precise cusp. Like her birthday is the transition date between two signs. Am I And one of those signs is a water sign? Okay. But I'm not going to say which one. Is she a Libra Scorpio? No, but you're really close. Other direction. Um, a Leo Cancer? Oh, a Scorpio Sag? Yep. Scorpio Sag. But she's technically a Sagittarius. Her birthday is November 22nd, 1943. So then I Googled it because I wasn't sure. And they're like, well, it depends on the year because it depends on like the timing and whether it's a leap year. So I had to Google it, but she is technically a Sagittarius, but literally just by a few hours. Interesting. Yeah. I was like, for, and I don't know why I feel totally feel this way but like even though she was so dedicated and like um you know fought for her athleticism and stood for all these causes and whatever whatever like I still I didn't really get a lot of fire interesting yeah um I I was just feeling like too much like sweet watery loving so this was fun because I watched the documentary before I looked up her birthday and like wouldn't let myself look up her birthday. So the yeah. whole time I was trying to think of, but I definitely, I think maybe if you saw her, it would make a difference too. I knew she was fire. I really? knew she had to be fire. And I actually like, and I knew she was an Aries cause she did too much with her life. And I know we got to stop shitting on Aries and um, <laughs> every season we shit on one sign and this season it's Aries. <laughs> Um, so I figured she'd be either a Leo or a Sag, and she ended up being a Sag. But what, like, Scorpio? I don't know. I would have said Cancer. I'm not, I don't get Pisces at all. No. Um, and I don't know that I get Scorpio either, but just something seemed really warm and fuzzy about her. Yeah. Like, and I don't know, maybe it was, maybe even just the fact that, like, she maintained such a good relationship after coming out, like, with her ex-husband, like, she just didn't seem like, even though she wanted to beat that baby back bitch's ass, she doesn't seem like somebody that burns bridges. No. Like, she seems like she had a good head on her shoulders and, like, meant well. Yeah. Like, we're, like, if I was, like, out to, like, you know, fuck with this baby back bitch, I would be out for fucking blood. I'd want to, like, rip my teeth into his jugular and, like, kill him. Yeah. Well, I think, like, also her demeanor on the court is very fiery. Really? Like, she's the kind of bitch that will, like, break her racket. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, I Mm -hmm. think parts of it, it's, like, to just hear her story, me telling it, it's different. But if you see her personality in action. Yeah. But she's not, like... I mean, she almost has an earthy quality to her. She's very great. She's a very level-headed person. She's very level-headed, which is not 
I mean, I know I just said she breaks like rackets on the court, but like outside of competition, yeah. you can just tell she's extremely level-headed. Yeah. So, yeah, I know. Interesting. Hmm. I thought, I was like, damn, what a weird cusp. Like, so, so fascinating. Scorpio and Sag. That is an interesting, they are like a strange side-by-side Zodiac yeah, I neighbor. I think a lot of them are, like Taurus and Gemini. What? Huh? Yeah. You know? The only one that makes sense is Aquarius and Pisces. That one makes so much sense. <laughs> They're like peas in a pod. <laughs> peas in a fucking alien pod on another planet. And maybe Virgo and... I don't know. I was going to say, like, it makes sense to me that you're a cusp with Libra, but you also, like, have very Libran qualities, right? Because you're... Like, I'm not a cusp with Libra. Or not, but, like, Virgo, I mean, like, Libra comes after you. Oh, yeah, and there's Sorry, a billion Libra in my sign. Right, so that makes sense. But I don't know that, like, Virgos in general give me Libra vibes. It's just you. <laughs> <laughs> Which would make sense. Right. Libra's in all of my planets, basically. That's so funny. Yeah, so Billie Jean King, go stop by that fucking tennis court. And document everything. I fucking I am. Lie. I'm going to literally crack a beer on the BJK Tennis Center, and I'm going to take a picture of it. Yeah! <laughs> I'm so excited. And I drink during my softball game, so that's why I'll have beer. Uh, yeah, so that so the fact that she was born and raised in Long Beach, the softball, that her brother is a pitcher for the Giants, um, and also that she's BFFs with Elton John, I thought all of those things would make you very happy. Yes, they all make <laughs> me very happy. Very happy. She's so cool. Yeah, and I have to shout out Jimmy because I texted him. I was like, I need a good lesbian. Who should I cover? And that was the first woman he mentioned. And I started reading up on her and I was like, this is fucking perfect. But I do. I think she's maybe the favorite woman I've ever covered. Like ever. She's so cool. Love it. Love it. Nailed it. What? We two of our favorite women ever. I know. Those were some. Those were some good women. They were. I love it. You know what else is weird? Huh? It's Nellie and Billy. Nellie, Billy. Like it's just like strange how they kind of have similar weird names. Well, it's also this is like not related to Nellie Bly, but she goes by Billy Jean King, which was her husband's last name. Yeah. To this day. Yeah. I just think that's so funny when women do that. Like, it's, it's so interesting. Yeah. That's also, like, a really cool name. I wish my name was Billie Jean King. Billie Jean. It is badass. It's like, so yeah. cool. Yeah. It's better than Billie Jean Moffat, for sure. Mm-hmm. I don't blame her for her. But, yeah. So, she's still out there with her lover. Owning part of the Dodgers, but we'll let it slide. We'll let it slide. Yep. Oh. <laughs> All right. Uh, what should we... What? Do we have any women of the week? I did have a woman of the week. Who was it? Do you? Yeah, I think that somebody deserves a shout out. Go. I think we need to properly acknowledge our newest, most loyal fan. Her name is Shelby. And she is a blogger in Cincinnati, Ohio. And somehow I found her on Twitter. And she is the only person on Twitter to this day, that has engaged with me <laughs> and who has been willing to check out our podcast after I promoted it out there in Twitter world. Um, she has been, over the past couple weeks, a huge advocate to the Mimosa Sisterhood, 
a huge supporter of the Mimosa Sisterhood and as well as a very huge promoter of the Sisterhood. Yes. And we are extremely thankful and um, appreciative. And it's very exciting that for the first time since this podcast has been live, we've actually met actually no she's I guess she'd be the second person because we had our friend from the Philippines right yeah but it's not very often that we are able to make contact with listeners who we don't actually know mm-hmm. and it's very rewarding for us to know that there are people listening to our podcast that don't know us yes. and that they're still listening yes a lot of the people that support our podcast or our friends um, or people we work with who already know us and, you know, are interested in what the hell we're doing. So to know that we are reaching people outside of our own social circles and that we are getting feedback, that they are enjoying the show, um, it's very, very exciting. So huge shout out to Shelby. Uh, she has her own blogging IG platform. I believe it's at D D O T T S. Sometimes I like to call you dots. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's actually what that means, but when I talk to CJ about you, I call you our dots friend. Yes. <laughs> um, but check her out. She has a lot of cute stuff on her page. Um, all these cute kids doing cute shit all the time. Um, and she's bleed in the sisterhood so fucking check her out shelby is down as fuck we love shelby yeah and she powered through our entire (laughs) podcast in just like a week or two something insane like very dedicated so we appreciate you shelby thank you thank you i don't remember who my woman of the week was so This happens all the time. Like, even when funny things happen throughout the week in my head, I'm like, I'm going to mention this at the beginning of the podcast. And then, like, five other days happen, and then I forget, you know? Yeah. So, I don't know. Woman out there somewhere, you know who you are. Shout out to you. Keep keep killing the game. (laughs) Great work. Well, again, hit us up. If you are, like, a Shelby and you don't actually know either of us personally, seriously, we would love to hear from you. (laughs) We would love to hear. I mean, that's just, like, tickles us. We think that's so cool. We're interested to know where you heard about us and how you found us. So definitely hit us up on the Instagram or email and say hi. Oh, wait. We have one last and final huge announcement. What? That, like, we totally failed to mention in the intro. I have no idea. What? We hit 10,000 downloads. We hit 10,000 downloads. We did. <laughs> we don't know how that happened, but we're soaked. Woohoo! So, thanks, so guys. to all of the 10,000 times our listeners click download, we thank you and we see you. We appreciate you. What Keep is that, it up. Nine, nine months? Nine months. Oh, we've had a podcast, baby. Yeah. So help us get to 15,000. Hell yeah. And we'll do another exciting shout out. We didn't do shit, really, for 10,000. I mean, listen. (laughs) Get us to 15,000 and we will, swear. All right. Well, so not next week, because next week we're taking a break. But in two weeks... We will see y'all again with some more badass women. Woo woo! Adios. Bye.